Back in 1863, um, a senator from Iowa, James Harlan, um, proposed a resolution, brought a resolution to the U.S. Senate. 1863, we're in the middle of a civil war. Uh, ironically, later on, his daughter married Robert Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln's uh, son, and really the son, the only son to survive into adulthood. And, uh, and I, I think somewhere along the line, the family didn't have any more sons, so there's not anybody that descended from the Lincoln family, which is kind of sad. But um, uh, Senator Harlan presented a resolution asking, and, and it passed, asking the president to declare a national day of prayer and fasting. And it passed the Senate. I just wonder if the Senate could pass something like that now. It's, it's fitting for them to call us to a day of prayer and fasting, right? But I want to read this, and I think uh, Shane has a script up here. I want you to just see the climate of the nation embroils in such a painful, costly war that we were killing each other. It's just, it just boggles the imagination that this actually took place. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. Whereas the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God and all the affairs of men and of nations, has, by resolution, requested the President to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. I'm going to pause right here. They only gave him a request to declare a national day of prayer. He put this together himself and, and announced this on March the 30th, just like less than a month after they passed it. And in so much as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of war, which now desolates the land, may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have wealth. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. We have not, we have forgotten God. We have we have, strength, we have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, 
to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, thereto, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do, by this my proclamation, designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. And I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship in their respective homes and keeping the day holy to the Lord and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of the nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. In witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. Done at the city of Washington the 30th day of March in the year of our Lord, 1863, and of the independence of the United States the 87th, by the President, Abraham Lincoln, William H. Seward, Secretary of State. That last phrase, 87, was how old the country was from the time of... Imagine that the nation wasn't even 90 years old when we were involved in an internal war. It's hard to fathom that that happened. But if they felt the urge to fast and pray, then how much more should we... Now, feel the urge to fast and pray. Why fast? We had this week, I noticed that we stopped the fasting and prayer before prime timer's lunch. <laughs> so, so February the 22nd is like our break of Ramadan. It's going to be on. Well, some of you might know what I'm talking about, but um, okay, I'm not going to go any further with that. Um, but just you heard these words of Lincoln declaring, and I mean, it doesn't sound like Lincoln was like Jefferson, just a theist. He really believed that there was heaven that could respond and bring healing to our nation. In fact, I wanted to tell you that if any of you, uh, this is Black History Month, and there's so much connected to this National Day of Prayer that they had then that was connected to what was going on, the slavery issue in our country. And um, there's, there's, you know, you need to just read uh, Frederick Douglass. Anything, his autobiography, just need to read history. How many believe that we need to read history? And I can tell you, an easy for you to get acquainted with history, just pick up uh, like somebody like William Bennett's America, The Last Best Hope. You can get that on CD or now it's digitized, I'm sure. But it just goes through this part of our nation's history and just kind of talks about why this tragedy happened. And we're such a divided nation now, aren't we? It looks like somebody ought to step up to a microphone somewhere in our country and say, could we just, could we just call time out? And everybody get on their faces. We did that at 9-11, did we not? 9-11, we, we watched a little bit of, of that whole thing the other day. And I, I wanted to watch it, and then I didn't want to watch it. I knew the towers about to come down. I didn't want the towers come, back, come down. I didn't want to see it again. 
But in that program, there was a man, an Indian descent man, that Assembly of God man that was rescued. He was on that, and and he spoke at one of the Speed the Light, our um, youth conventions, not long after that. Uh, Times Square Church was involved in ministering to all of that. We just forgot our differences and got on our knees. I believe we need to do that again, don't you? Um, we don't argue about the necessity of prayer, but we, we just say like, we need to pray. We pray for each other. And in fact, we heard about a, m- a miraculous answer to prayer um, before our Sunday school and our prayer time. So we, don't, we know we need to pray. But why fast? Why should we fast? Uh, I asked someone that asked me what I was preaching on. I said, well, I'll ask you, what's four good reasons to fast? And uh, they gave me f- their four good reasons. Two's actually in my four reasons. The other two was kind of secondary to my four, but it's okay. <laughs> no, there are good reasons as well. There's probably 16 reasons to fast. I want to take you, though, to Matthew 4 to start this off this morning. So if you go to Matthew 4, because I want to... I want to touch on about Jesus starting his ministry and the fasting that he went through before he even did any ministry. I mean, his ministry was launched in the River Jordan when John the Baptist baptized him. And he came up out of the water and he had this voice from heaven from his father declaring that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove on him. And the, and the scriptures immediately tells us that the spirit coming on him drove him into the wilderness. And if you look at an aerial view of the Jordan River and near Jericho, Jericho is kind of like a little oasis down in a barren land. There's nothing there, but there's palm trees and date trees and things like that there in, in Jericho. But outside of Jericho, there's just barren mountains, it's brush, it's... And this is where Jesus was sent to start his ministry. In fact, he was sent there to prepare him for ministry. And we're going to pick this up in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Another word for that could be tested, to be tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He not only did not have food, he had no water. The tempter, came, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And you know what Jesus said, right? He said, It is written, a reference to the Scriptures, which is the Old Testament, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the first test that we know that the devil came at him with and, and that old serpent went for the weakest place that he saw, and that was he saw him hungry, so he went, he went and tested that. He went and tried to see if he could uh, get Jesus to compromise there. But Jesus answered him from a passage of Scripture. It is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds of the, out of the mouth of God. Where did that come from? What passage was that? I want to take you to Deuteronomy 8 because it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus pulls out a verse. He combats, and he does this all three times. 
when the enemy is testing him and, and tempting him, he goes back to the written scriptures and he says, no, this, the word says this. Well, we can learn from that, right? The sword of the spirit. I'm going to pick this up in verse 2 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord, this is God speaking through Moses, and he's telling the people of Israel, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Look at the details of what Deuteronomy 8 said and what Matthew 4 says. Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you think that was intentional? All of that represented the 40 years that Israel was wandering in the wilderness. And, he, and the Lord says, I didn't bless you with bread, I didn't provide food for you because I wanted to test you. I wanted to see when you were hungry what was really in your heart because he gave them manna. Manna was not bread. Manna was a special substance that came with the dew every morning, six days out of the week. On Saturday, there was no manna out there. It tasted a little bit like honey. It was, it was for them to not be hungry, but what, what happened with that? They started complaining. Hey, we've had this. It's kind of like Keith Green's song. So you want to go back to Egypt. You know, we've, we've had manna pancakes. We've had manna casserole. We had, we're just tired of manna. You remember that? So what was the test? Was the test them not having regular food or the test that what God was providing them exposed what was in their heart? They were not, they were willing to okay to accept what God was giving them for a while, but then they got tired of that, and they started complaining. I, I do remember times when our kids was growing up, and especially when they were tired, I told them they sounded like the children of Israel, murmuring and complaining. And, but that was only when they were tired. Other than that, they, they were really good, Jason. He was really good. Here's the thing about fasting. Fasting will reveal... The people in, in Israel, God wanted to know what was in their heart. When we fast, we find out what's in our hearts. It exposes and reveals what's deep down inside of us. In the middle of the night, in a skirmish, when Jesus is being arrested, Peter did not even know what was in his heart. The Lord told him what was in his heart, right? He said, you know what? You're, you're not going to stick with me. You're not going to hang in there. You're going to not deny me once. You're going to deny me three times before the morning breaks. And Peter says, oh, I'll never do that. Peter didn't even know what was in his own heart until he was tested that night. And he did pretty good in the skirmish in Gethsemane. He pulled out a knife and tried to kill a guy. I, I don't think a fisherman is good enough with a knife to cut somebody's ear off just swinging wildly. That's what happened. But before the night was over, it was a little girl, a young girl, maybe just a young teenage girl that ratted him out and says, I think you're one of them. No. And he realized what was in his heart by that test. And sometimes when we fast, we, 
we find out what's really in our heart. We don't want to think there's a weakness there. We don't think that there's a tendency to, to circumvent what God wants to do. But Jesus was tested by the devil. To, and the devil was testing him to see if he was going to take shortcuts. He said, you can make this food right here, these stones, bread. And he said, no, no. You can't live by bread alone. You have to live by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it was the absence of food and water that caused him to hunger, but he was not going to satisfy that hunger in a compromising way. Are you following me? Here's the second reason why fasting. Why should we fast? Fasting enables us to focus on, on what's more important, not on peripheral things. And again, this shows in the temptation of Christ. Uh, here's the enemy giving him shortcuts to being prominent, to feeding himself. You know, we all love, who does not love shortcuts? Especially in town, you just try to figure out the best way to get to Northport from what part of town you're at, especially with what they've been doing downtown. Right? And in Lakeland, Florida, it kind of broke me from using a compass as a way to determine a shortcut. Because you say, like, you know, I need to go west, and west is that away, so I'll just cut through these roads. They don't call that Lakeland by accident. Because there's like 35 lakes between that's between you and the where the compass is. You wind up going around all these lakes, and by the time you get there, it says, I just should have took the other way. And this is exactly what the enemy was testing Jesus. Are you going to take a shortcut? You can eat in a little bit, but you can eat now. And you have the power to do that now. You can make that bread. You're hungry, why don't you do it now? If you're the son of God, do it now. Isn't it interesting that not long after this, the very first, now he did not make the stones in the bread, but not long after this, i tell you what he did. He made wine out of well water. That's pretty close. I, I think that's pretty close. Making high-end tasting wine, and then somebody says, well, that couldn't have been like fermented wine. Well, it probably tasted like it, whether it was or not. Because they thought it was the best thing that they had. Says, why'd you bring this? Usually serve this before, not later. But he didn't go a shortcut. He was going to do a miracle later on, but it wasn't going to be at Satan's chiding. We stop focusing on what we, or what's not important when we fast, and we start focusing on what really is important. So why fast? Here's the third reason. Fasting helps us with wisdom and discerning the will of God. And I'm going to give you an illustration of this in, in a corporate setting. Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 13. Um, it says that there was five leaders in the church in Antioch. Antioch was exploding with growth. It, was become, it became the main campus, how we put that, in a multi-campus church. Antioch was a city of about 500,000. It was one of the largest, third largest city in the world at the time, only behind Rome and Alexandria, Egypt. So this massive metropolis city became the hub of Christian missionary work. And so it says in verse 
one of Acts 13, the church, there was the prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So while they were worshiping and fasting, there was a reason why they were fasting. They were, they were trying to find direction. What? Here we are. We are exploding with growth. God is blessing the church at Antioch. It is the hub. It became the hub of Christian missionary work. And they're in there worshiping and fasting, and the Holy Spirit responds to that. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And this was the first missionary journey. Now think about that. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean, and Saul. They were worshiping and fasting, seeking God. And in the midst of that fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. And you know what? The Holy Spirit had to tell them that. Because if you think about it in the natural, they would have never in that meeting decided that Barnabas and Saul would be the two to lead the church because they were the main people. You see how we would do that differently. We, we would look at that and say, well, you know what? We don't need to send the pastor and the assistant pastor out. We need to send one of the, the deacons. We, we, well, let's send them if, if this was going on. And, and when you look at it, they probably, it says here they fasted and prayed more. After the Holy Spirit said, right? They laid their hands on them. They blessed them. But they fasted and prayed more after the Holy Spirit said, it's like, oh, we need to really make sure this is the Holy Spirit teaching us, showing us what to do. In seeking the Lord, the, the latter part of 2019, when we are seeking the Lord and, and seeking his face about attacking that mortgage debt, there's not a doubt in my mind the Holy Spirit began to speak to us. And began to speak things to us that we would not normally do. And by the way, it's, I said it before. If, if you can do it without God speaking to you, then you don't need to pray. It's only when God speaks to us like, what? You, you want me to do what? And I think this was the case with them. You want us to do what? You want us to send Barnabas and Saul? Barnabas went to Tarsus to get Saul, brought him back, and man, that church started exploding with growth. And they were not, they were not willing, I don't believe, internally willing to send their two best people out. But that's exactly what the Holy Spirit. And see, we use our intellect too much in deciding, well, God doesn't want me to do that because I'm not good at that. God will never speak to me about doing something that I'm not comfortable with. It's like, like years ago, not here, but in the second church we pastored, I had somebody came up, they volunteered to help with children. And one day in children's ministry, they felt led to quit. <laughs> so I wanted to, to say to him, I'll let you feel led. And, you know, it's a bad joke. How could, we, how could we have one day in the ministry and all of a sudden, no, I didn't hear God. That was too hard back there. These kids were driving me crazy. I can't be back there. You know, sometimes God's going to lead you to do something that is nowhere within your, your talents. And why, he, why does he do that? 
Why does he call us to do things that we like? I can't do that. I've never done that before. I can't do that. It's because he knows that we will not rely on our abilities. We will rely on his power. And this is exactly what was going there. Here's the last reason why fast. Fasting helps us identify with people in need. We very seldom know the feel of hunger. We say we're hungry. And have you any children that will tell you they're hungry and all the options that you suggest they don't want? Amen. Then we used to say, well, then you're not hungry. Enough. When you're hungry enough, you'll eat what we put in front of you. And the way I was raised, if you got a spoonful of vegetables that you really didn't like, you just kept a lid on it and forced it down. Because if you even heard, if they heard you whisper, I don't like that, you just automatically got a second spoonful. Boom. And you were not allowed to leave the table with anything staying on your plate. So you just choked it down. When, fat, when we're fat, when we really feel hunger is when we decide or we find out what other people feel. And I love Isaiah 58. This is the last place I'm going to take you, Isaiah 58. Every time I think about this, this chapter, I think of Carl Strader. <laughs> he loved preaching out of Isaiah, and he had lots of it memorized by heart. I love to hear him talk about Isaiah 58, about people fasting, trying to win arguments. Isaiah 58 is just a great chapter. We're, we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Is The Lord talks to them about, well, I know you've been fasting, but you've been fasting for the wrong reason. You've been in arguments. You actually are, have been in fights with each other. And you're using fasting as a badge to get uh, leverage on someone else. Then I know that people don't use fasting today as spiritual leverage. But I've had people tell me, well, I made the decision after I, uh, I fasted 20 days or 21 days or 14 days, and I made a decision, and that was like, you can't question it because I fasted 14 days. But if the decision is unethical, then it doesn't matter if you fast two months. It doesn't justify. And this is what, this is what the Lord was telling the people of Israel. They were fasting, but they were fasting for the wrong reason. It was to have this kind of badge of spirituality that you could not challenge. And they were arguing and fussing over things and they were battling each other with fasting. You can read the first four verses. And then the prophet begins to give what the Lord was saying is the fast that he chooses. In verse five, I can still hear Carl Strader's sound of his voice reading this, quoting it. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is it all just external? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. You got things that's inhibiting you, controlling you. I, I prayed with a young man Friday. Our, our paths have crossed a few times. I've prayed with him before. It just, God-ordained moment, just crossroads with him. Just for 15 minutes, 
And he was telling me he was applying to a restoration house to where he's going to get help with substance abuse and and uh, prayed with him for the addictions that he's had. I prayed with him before, I've talked to him. And this is what he said to me. He said, I, I know that God can use me if I can just get clean, if I can just get free. And I said to him, you know, there's one thing that nobody can do for us, and, and that's make our own decisions. You have to put that in God's hands and ask him to empower you to make decisions. He's pretty much of an alcoholic. And I don't know if he's doing any other drugs, but I had a chance. I said, can I pray with you? And I laid hands on him and I prayed for the power of God, that the, the raw power of God. Have we stopped believing in the raw power of God? When Teen Challenge was birthed, it was birthed because they got next to a bed of someone in the throes of withdrawal from heroin. And they prayed until that withdrawal was broken by the power of God. And those people became the testimonies out on the streets. And they had people, they had wealthy people driving up in Cadillacs and limousines, dropping off their children that they had no power to help them. Nothing had helped them. They were dropping them off at Teen Challenge in New York because they heard that when you get off of heroin in there, you stay off. Well, what was going on was they just didn't get off of heroin. They got onto Jesus. They got onto the power of God. They weren't trying to stay clean. They were clean. And this is what I was trying to encourage us to set the oppressed free to break the chains off that young man. Do you believe that God can still do that? He said, this is why we should fast. You might not have anybody in your family that's fighting addictions, but when you're praying and he brings people to your mind, your fasting could be part of the breaking of those chains. It says it here. He said, this is the fast I have chosen. But look what he says in verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide poor, the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to turn, not turn away from your own flesh and blood, it's, he says, don't give up on your own family. Even though they've made bad decisions, don't give up on them. But be honest with them. They're not going to get free on their own. They're only going to get free by the power of God. They will never get free on their own. People go into Bradford and stay there as long as the insurance pays. That's just the truth. You're on the program depending on the insurance paying or the people paying out of their pocket. And they, and they leave, and they go back or go to something else. They go to this, they go to that. None of those things. There's hardly any survival of that deliverance. But the cure rate with Teen Challenge is around 80-something percent. And I'm not talking about 80-something percent of people polled a year after they go through Teen Challenge. Five years after they get out of Teen Challenge, about 86% are still clean. There's no answer for that. There's no chemical answer to that. There's no counseling answer to that. It has to be that they're born again. The power of God infiltrates their lives. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn 
and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord. Anybody would like to have that happen? Anybody would like to fast and have this happen? That your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will appear quickly and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear reward. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. He will say, here I am. If you go away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in, beha- in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. In other words, whatever's going on around you that is, that is detrimental, it won't touch you. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. Come on. That's a really good reason to fast. I don't think you have to walk across the campus at the University of Alabama very much to know that there ought to be a regular time we set aside for God to invade that campus. That is a harvest field over there. In the ministries that are there like Chi Alpha, it is, it is overwhelming the need there, the need for a revelation of God, the need for the power of God to manifest in those young people's lives. So this is what I'm going to ask you, and the praise team can come up. I... I I'm almost through with this book. I got one page left on my journal, and then I've, I've got a new one. I'm going to crank it up after tomorrow. Got one page left for tomorrow, unless God just begins to give me stuff today. But if you have a journal or you, you just have a notebook, here's what I'd like for you to do. Today through Friday, map out something. Ask God to show you what you can give up in order to get closer to him. To help know what's in your heart. Kind of like fasting a meal, fasting a day, fasting three days. I'm not giving you information on how to fast. There's plenty of things you can pull up on if you're going to do a daily fast or a three-day fast, what you need to do. But I can tell you, Everything that's been written about a 40-day fast. And Bill Bright was the late Bill Bryce, who Bill Bright that was in charge of Campus Crusade for Christ. He went on multiple 40 days of fast. Kind of inspired a lot of people. It really and truly, the only time I ever did it was a number of years ago was really God just convicted me after reading something about his heart for young people, his heart for campuses. Now he, he wanted to see God do a breakthrough in young people's lives. And I'll tell you this, after three days, you really don't have any hunger. You just drink water and no, you don't have the energy, but, but we need to listen to God. And if it's just one meal or a day, How about a day without television? That'll reveal what's in your heart. Or shut your phone down. Say, well, I need my phone for my work, okay? 
Shut down Facebook, Twitter for a day. And I know what you're saying. It's like, well, that's not the Lord. That's just a pastor suggesting that. I'm not hearing that. No, no, no. I'm not hearing the Lord say no Twitter for a day or no, fa- no Facebook for a day. No, that's not, that's not the Lord talking to me. But things that, things that you know are dear to you elevate a renewal of God's presence in your life more dear to you and replace it. It's not, I don't think we do any good by doing away with something. It's what you replace it with. We, we can all go on a diet and it'll help us, but that's, that's all you're doing if it's just getting, not eating. You need a different kind of meal than food. You need worship time. They were worshiping and fasting. They were singing. They were listening, listening to God's word, praying, having a, a praise and worship time in your own life, in your own day. There's probably a number of things that we can say, you know what, I need to, I just need to let go of that for a day and, and see what God speaks to me. I can tell you this, if you really do that from a sincere heart, you need to have, you need to have some, a pen and a paper ready because God's going to talk to you. He's going to talk to you. So how do, you will know when he begins to talk to you. Would you stand with me? And here's what I want us to do. Whatever you plan this, and you have to plan it. You have to like, what, what about the rest of the day? I can tell you this. Some of us in this room miss the vast majority of what is called the Super Bowl because we were here praying. And that's not, that's not any reward I'm not saying it because that, I'm just saying that the nations of the earth need our attention. Our missionaries need our attention, especially those who have come out of China and now are kind of like stuck in Thailand. Just got an email from one of them. Their future is all up in the air. They don't, they don't know what's going to happen. They might not ever go back into China. But what, what, what do they do now? And we pray for those missionaries by name, by their face on that pictorial prayer, God. It's just some things that we need to say, Lord, this is more important than anything else that I have in front of me. And what I'd like for you to do is just consecrate yourself to this, Lord, whatever you want from me this week. (laughs) You can tell him, please don't make it real hard. But he's going to speak to you what he knows you need, what I need. Lord, I ask you this morning, in this setting, speak to us. There's a lot of people around us that's oppressed, that's bound. And we're to carry the answer to them. And you said that when we fast, you would empower things around us to break free. You would break the oppression on people's lives. You would break the yoke of bondage that's in a young person's life. You will break drug addiction. You will break pornography. You will break the the malady that's in their soul, that's in their mind, the lie, the deception that has consumed their life. If we who are called by your name would seek your face, 
your promise is that you would heal us. You would restore us as your instruments in this world. If you need prayer this morning, this altar is open for you to come and seek the Lord, to seek him for someone in your family that's in bondage, that needs deliverance to a lost nephew, niece, an uncle, an aunt, a child, a parent, to say, Lord, they need a miraculous touch from you. Someone battling terminal illness, but for all of us in this room to simply lift our hands and surrender and say, Lord, consecrate my life to you. I consecrate my life to you. I want what you want. I'm sorry for making the parameters of my own choosing. You go over the barriers that I put there. You, you take me past my own limitations, Lord. You show me what to do. You show me how to approach this, Lord. Give me the way I need to pray about this, Lord. Show me how I should pray about it. Could you just lift your hands and just, I surrender my life, Lord. Here it is.